Well, good morning, New Hope. It is great to see you. Here we are in 2021, and uh, let's hope things are a little different from 2020. Um, you know, one of the things we learned in 2020 was that we need to look out for each other. You know, that what we do impacts others. You know, in some places around the world, um, people didn't always have the same attitude, but in New Zealand, I think we've done a really good job of realizing that what I do impacts others. You know, so for example, um, I'm showing love to others by wearing a mask, right? It's, it's not just about me. And I think um, that's a really important lesson for us uh, as a nation. And I think that the Christian faith obviously emphasizes that, that it's not all about us. We need to look to the needs of others. So um, uh, I think it's great that we, we, we already have that sort of mindset as Christians and can model that for others. Um, well, today I want to look at some lessons from the life of Joseph. So if you think about the patriarchs of, uh, of our faith, the, the, patri- the fathers of the Israelite nation, we had Abraham, and then his son Isaac, his son Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons, one of whom was Joseph. And there are a lot of things we can learn from the life of Joseph. Uh, first of all, if you are new to New Hope, welcome. It's great to have you here. And if you'd like to know a bit more about the church, if you could just write your details on the communication card and, um, and then drop it into the offering bucket as it come, comes around, then we can tell you what we're about as a church, what we believe, and uh, we'd love to have you uh, to, uh, to join us. Also, as you came in, I hopefully you got an outline uh, for the message today. Does anybody not have an outline? Looks like everybody's got it. Excellent. So in there, there's some notes about just covering the key points that we'll go through in the message, and there's some little gaps there for you to fill in, Uh, and there's even some space there for you to write some extra notes if you like. Uh, Some of us have been known to do that from time to time. Um, So I want to start today by looking at a cartoon. I don't normally start my messages this way. Um, There's a cartoon. Who remembers the Far Side cartoon from years ago? Yeah, so for those of us who are a little more advanced in in our years... Uh, the Far Side cartoons are very clever cartoons. They can be somewhat satirical, and I don't always agree with the worldview that underpins the cartoons, but they're very clever, and there's one of them that illustrates one of the points I want to make today. So if we could just put up... There it is there. So if you look at the cartoon, you can see there's this woman, and she's looking out through her window. She sees this massive eye, and that's all she can see, because whatever it is, is that big. So she's calling up her neighbor down the street to say, uh, yeah, could you just look out your window and just describe to me what's in my front yard? What, what I love about this is just how calm she is. You know, she goes through the normal pleasantries. Oh, hello, Emily. This is Gladys Murphy up the street. Yeah, fine, thanks. Say, would you mind just taking a look out your window? See, I think for me, it might be more like, uh, Emily, there's something massive outside. What is it? What is it? But she's very calm, and this is the, the brilliance of cartoonist. Uh, Gary Larson, I think was his name, who did the Far Side cartoons. So I'm showing this because um, for Gladys Murphy standing there, what she lacks is perspective. Right, she lacks perspective. All she, she can see is the eye. And so she's calling up her friend down the street to have a look at whatever it is because her friend is in a better position. Her friend has the position to see the whole of whatever this thing is. Right, so her friend has better perspective. And often in life, this is very important for us. We often don't have the perspective we need. We need somebody who has a better perspective of the situation we're in. We'll talk about that in a minute. 
I'd like to start by looking at uh, favoritism and its consequences. So we read in Genesis 37, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel loved Joseph. Now, Israel, of course, is the new name for Jacob. Jacob was renamed by God to have the name Israel. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Now, I'm not sure about um, the wisdom of Joseph in telling his brothers that dream. I'm not sure if I would have done that. I'm sure it didn't make him popular. In fact, we know it didn't. But Joseph did that. Now, we can make some observations about this. If you recall earlier in Genesis, we had previously seen the favoritism of Rebekah for Jacob and Isaac for Esau. So remember, Isaac and his wife Rebekah had two sons. They had Esau, who was the older, and Jacob, the younger. And Isaac favored Esau, whereas Isaac's wife, Rebekah, favored Jacob. And this favoritism had torn apart Jacob's family and, in fact, threatened to destroy it. And we're now seeing this again with Joseph, with his father Jacob, favoring him over his brothers. And this favoritism brought renewed jeopardy to the, the effective operation of the covenant, you know, that covenant that was given to Abraham. And this conflict between Joseph and his brothers is a direct result of this favoritism. The sequence of steps is clear. The favoritism of Joseph led to his brother's jealousy, which in turn led to conflict. And this was no ordinary conflict. It wasn't just like a little verbal spatter, a bit of you know, pushing and shoving. Joseph's brothers wanted to kill him. They talked about killing him. They eventually toned it down and just sold him into slavery. An application for us here is um, we consider, we, we think about envy. Envy has been classified as one of the seven deadly sins. But in our culture, envy, along with lust, carries a certain level of prestige. See, advertising doesn't say envy is good, but it's good to be envied. Isn't that the underlying message of advertising? It's good to be envied. See, advertisers will work hard to make you want to be envied. Because if you want to be envied, you'll go out and buy the things, the products that will make you envied by others, right? Other people look at you and go, oh man, this guy's really got it going. I want to be like him, I want what he's got. But beware of this because it's a trap, both for your wallet and for your heart. Your wallet for obvious reasons, your heart because when your desire is to be envied, you can get trapped in a cycle of acquiring those possessions that make you envied by others. And then those possessions and the habitual process of acquiring them become idols in your life. Right? They, they become things that are more important to you than God. So beware of that. And possibly even worse, when we envy some person or the things this person has, particularly if we think that person is trying to make us jealous, 
we can start to excuse our sins and see ourselves as victims. But this happens at their expense. You see, we start to justify our mistreatment of them. Oh, well, they were trying to make me jealous. They had it coming to them. So beware the trap of envy. Beware the trap of envy. Well, now I want to go back to uh, looking at the importance of perspective. And we looked before at the, the perspective of that woman who was looking out her window, and all she could see was that huge eye. But if we look at that passage in Genesis we just looked at, there's an other, another observation we can make about this passage. See, through all of this, through all of what happened to Joseph, we see God's sovereignty. So although favoritism is not something that God condones, he can work through it to bring good. God raised up Joseph to a position of authority in Egypt, becoming actually the second most powerful person in the land behind Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph enjoyed huge privilege as a result. But let's take a look at what Joseph went through to get there. So he was sold into slavery in Egypt, falsely accused of attempted rape, and then thrown into prison. And all of this without doing anything wrong. So from a human perspective, it would be easy to look at this situation as, as Joseph and say, um, you know, so God, when you uh, gave us that promise through Father Abraham and you know, promised to never leave us, well, this is not exactly what I thought that would look like. You know, I thought things might go a little differently. But the thing is, God sees things differently than we do. See, for him, everything was perfectly in control right throughout Joseph's trials. Because he saw where Joseph would end up. He saw that as second in command in Egypt, uh, he saw that Joseph would be in a position to save. So remember, in Egypt, there was a, a massive famine. There was seven years of abundance, and then there was seven years of drought. And God, of course, saw all that ahead of time. And, and he put Joseph in a position to save not just the Egyptians, but also his own family, who were up in Canaan, to save them from that drought. And, and by doing so, he, he positioned his family to then grow to become, become a great nation, just as God had said would happen. You see, God sees things from a much higher perspective than we do. Uh, both in terms of time, because, you know, for God, a thousand years is like a day. But also in terms of the perceived size of events. See, for God, things that look absolutely mountainous to us are actually very small for him. <clears throat> and by small, I don't mean unimportant, because God does care about the details of our lives. By small, I mean they're not overwhelming to God, as they often are to us. Because he truly has a perfect perspective. He sees the full picture of everything. You know, it's kind of like he's in some hot air balloon just several kilometers up. He sees a full picture of, of every part of reality. And not just the visible world, but also the invisible. For example, if there's some, some guy who's acting like a jerk, maybe he cuts you off in traffic, and maybe you think, man, what a jerk, what did he do that for? Well, maybe it turns out this man's wife just left him. Maybe he's at an all-time low in his life. And while this does not excuse his behavior, you know, if we knew this, we might have a bit more compassion towards him. See, when we look at him, we wouldn't see that his wife just left him. We wouldn't know that. But God sees it all. He, has, he sees the full picture. <clears throat> so a point to note, to note here is only God has perfect perspective. 
Only God has perfect perspective. No matter how wise some human appears to be, only God has perfect perspective. So if that's the case, if it is only God who has perfect perspective, what should our response to that be? Well, our response should be to get close to God. Get close to God. Get to know him well. Why? Because the closer you are to the one who has perfect perspective, the more you will right-size your problems. In other words, the more you'll see them for what they actually are. They will not seem so overwhelmingly big. Well, how does this work? See, it's not that getting close to God will make our problems go away or even make them smaller as much as uh, that. I'd love that to be the case. That's generally not how it would work. It's also not the case that being close to God will give us God's perspective. Because after all, he is infinite and we are finite. So we can never fully have his perspective, his global perspective. Although, of course, he may choose to reveal certain things to us that he wouldn't other- we wouldn't otherwise know. For example, Pastor Ian mentioned not long ago, uh, he had a message from God to stick his head in a hedge. This is not a common thing for some human to be told to do. But that's where he found, was it, uh, so glasses, yeah, found his glasses. God knew where they were. <clears throat> so the, the reason I say that the closer you are to God, the better perspective you'll have on your problems is because the better we know God, the more we become aware of what he is capable of. For example, by noting what he's done in the past, and we can read all about that in the Bible, we also see in our own lives what he's done in the past. And the more you know what he is capable of, the more you realize how much bigger he is than any problem you will have, no matter how big it seems to you. So if getting close to God is the way for us to get better perspective on life, the question then becomes, well, how do you do that? How do you get close to God? Well, just as with anyone else, you get close to God by spending time with him. So the question, how do you get close to God? Spend time with him. So this means time in his word and time in prayer. Because the primary way you get to know God is through the primary way he has revealed himself to us. And that's through his word. You know, throughout human history, um, humanists didn't go on some incredible, you know, some vast exploration and then come across God through their great searching skills. Humans never would have discovered God on their own. The only reason we know about God is because God revealed himself to us. He stepped down into human history and revealed himself to us. And for us today, in the year 2021, for us in contemporary society, the primary way that we get acquainted with God is through his written word, the Bible. So to get close to God, Get well acquainted, become well acquainted with his word. Dig into it. Well, we can also note that God sees our faithfulness. And we'll start by looking at Joseph's faithfulness to God in slavery. So moving on from where we were in Genesis, we now look at uh, Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So now Joseph is a slave in Egypt. But God had not abandoned him. 
we see in the next few verses, in fact, that the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything he did. As a result, Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. Everything. That's a lot of trust. So, so now Potiphar feels free to leave the house and take care of his own business. And I get the impression from the story that Potiphar therefore spends a lot of time away from home. Because we read in the story that you know, Joseph was a uh, very well-built and handsome man. And after a while, Potiphar's wife starts to notice Joseph. And she tries to seduce him. But, of course, Joseph refuses, godly man that he is. But day after day, she repeatedly tries to seduce him and get him to sleep with her. On every occasion, he refuses. One day, however, she caught him by his cloak and says, come to bed with me. How did Joseph respond? Well, it says, he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. In other words, he took drastic action. And drastic action was needed because of the nature of the situation. See, Potiphar's wife is no longer speaking to him. Right? She has now taken things up, and up a notch. She's actually grabbed him by the cloak. So if we analyze Joseph's response here, when there was a verbal situation, right, a verbal temptation, he used a verbal response. He said, no, how could I do that? How could I sin against God like that? But then when she took it up a notch to a physical temptation, a physical situation, he also raised it up to a physical response. And he ran. Notice he didn't walk. He didn't saunter. He ran out of the house. So Joseph matched his response to the nature of the situation he faced. Well, what, what can we take from this? Well, when it comes to temptation, a drastic situation requires a drastic response. A drastic situation, such as a strong temptation, requires a drastic response. So here we see Joseph's faithfulness to God in slavery. Well, next we also see his faithfulness to God in prison. See, following on from this, Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of attempting to rape her, and Joseph is thrown in prison. Again, God did, God did not abandon him. It says, But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Now, if you remember the story, while in prison, Joseph interpreted the dreams of the baker and cupbearer of the king of Egypt and attributing these interpretations to God. In other words, Joseph didn't take the glory for himself. He pointed to God as the source of these interpretations. So here we see Joseph's faithfulness in prison, and God was clearly pleased with Joseph throughout all of this. An application for us is that the value of our service to God isn't just measured by how remarkable the end results might be. See, God also finds value in our effort, in our journey. Joseph's consistent faithfulness in slavery and in prison was every bit as valuable to God as the deliverance he would later bring as second in command in Egypt. You see, faithfulness is faithfulness, regardless of the scale on which God chooses to use it. So today, if you are struggling with what seems like a seemingly fruitless effort, you know, if it feels like you're just banging your head against a brick wall and making no progress, you know, maybe it's a relationship or a financial struggle, or, or maybe, maybe you're in ministry and not getting the numbers of people you would like. If you're in that situation, keep in mind 
It is your faithfulness in the midst of that struggle that God sees. In fact, your faithfulness in that situation is more important to God than your progress. Your faithfulness in the midst of trials is more important to God than your progress. So let me clarify. By progress, I'm talking about things like getting through to the other side of the trial or getting greater numbers in ministry. These are important things. But why is faithfulness more important than this? Because faithfulness reflects your character, right? Faithfulness reflects your character. And character is of the utmost importance to God. God wants to develop in us the character of Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Progress is a good thing, and clearly we would like both, right? We want faithfulness and progress. But the reality of life is that doesn't always happen. So while progress is a good thing, it is not to be achieved at any cost. It's certainly not to be achieved at the expense of your faithfulness to God's ways. So as an example, perhaps your, your school friends or work colleagues would like you more if you just toned down your emphasis on your faith. If you just went along with their worldly jokes, their gossip, or their way of, if you're in business, maybe their way of doing business. Um, through my career in IT, I've seen many situations where somebody just wanted to cut a few corners because, you know, it would just make life a bit easier. You know, in many ways, life for Christians would be a lot easier if we denied our faith and followed the ways of the world because this is generally the path of least resistance. You know, being a Christian, sometimes you're pushing uphill. Going with the world, you're just kind of going with the flow and it's the easy path downhill. And this makes it the path that, leads, that can lead you to making the most progress. It's progress in worldly terms, that is, not God's terms. It doesn't always work this way. Sometimes God will actually step in. He'll see your faithfulness and give you progress or advancement or maybe some promotion because of your faithfulness. But often, even though it doesn't seem fair, uh, going with the world's thinking, following worldly paths instead of God's paths, can make you progress better than following God's ways because you don't face worldly opposition. But God does not call us as Christians to take the easy route through life. You see, Christianity is not for wimps. See, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So when we stand up for God and his ways, when, even when we face opposition, even when we face ridicule, even when nobody else is standing with us, we're denying ourselves and taking him our cross, and God sees us and is pleased with it. By the way, in those situations where it just doesn't seem fair, then we think, God, what are you doing? I've, been, I've seen a number of situations where I think, look, God, the answer is simple. You just need to do this. And God doesn't always do it. See, when I say that, when I think that, I'm seeing this much of the full picture, and God sees the whole thing. So although sometimes there's some mystery to the way God operates, I know that God is a really smart dude. Maybe an odd way to describe him. But we talked about what he can see. He sees the full picture, so I trust that his judgments are right, even if they don't look right to me. So if you are being faithful to God in a given situation, but still not, not making the progress you would like, be encouraged by the fact that God sees your faithfulness 
and is pleased with it. You see, God didn't miss seeing anything in Joseph's life, whether during his slavery or imprisonment. He didn't miss anything in Joseph's life, and he won't miss anything in yours either. Let's pray. If the worship team could just come up. Lord, thank you for the life of Joseph that is recorded for us in the Scripture, that is so useful for us both in seeing your faithfulness through the trials of life, but also in showing us Joseph modeling for us how we should respond to such trials. Help us, first of all, Lord, to beware the trap of envy, to not be taken in by advertising that tries to convince us that it is good to be envied. And Lord, may we let go of any jealousy we have of others and what they have and pursue not the temporary things of this world, but the eternal riches of your kingdom. And Lord, we praise you for your perfect perspective. We praise you that no matter what the problem, no matter what the situation, you see the full picture. You don't miss one single detail about even the most complex situations. And Lord, may we always turn to you as we face overwhelming problems, since we then gain a better perspective on them. For Lord, none of these problems are too big for you. So as we focus on you, Lord, may we see our problems for what they really are and not be overwhelmed by them, but instead go forward in strength because you are with us. Father, as we move forward in our lives, help us run from temptation, taking measures that are as drastic as they need to be to get out of difficult situations. And may we always be faithful in the little things. Help us to remember that you notice our faithfulness just as much when we are doing the the little mundane everyday things as when we are doing the big noticeable glamorous things as we face tough situations where it feels like we were making little progress lord may we remember that our faithfulness to you and your ways in those situations is more important than our progress and finally lord i thank you for your spirit living in us may we go out this week in the power of your spirit in jesus name